This week on Blue 58, we look back on the career of A.J. Hawk, discuss a player who helped the Packers without even playing a single down, and talk about our needs, wants, and dreams for the Packers draft. Plus, we're joined by Brian Caribou of the Railbird Central Podcast. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the official podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. We are powered this week as we are every week by WTMJ Mobile. I am your host, John Meerdink. Joined today by co-host Gary Zillavy. How are we doing, Gary? It's a great day to be great, John. Great day to jump back into our traditional format with a few headlines. Let's start, as we mentioned, with A.J. Hawk. He signed a one-day contract with the Packers today to officially retire as a member of the team that drafted him in 2006. He was taken with the fifth overall pick in that particular draft, played 142 of 144 possible games during nine years in Green Bay, was also a part of the 2010 Super Bowl winning team. Maybe never a superstar, but very good for a pretty long time. Gary, given, though, that he may not have lived up to his status as that fifth overall pick, what do we make of A.J. Hawk? You know, John, one footnote to Hawk's career that I don't know if many of our listeners know is how his arrival was really a vote of confidence in Aaron Rodgers, of all people. Rodgers was entering his second season, and the results from his rookie campaign were up and down. He didn't play particularly well in that initial preseason. The Packers had gone 4-12, and and Mike Sherman had been fired. There was a new coach in town by Mike McCarthy, and the speculation was that the Packers were going to pick either Matt Leinart or Vince Young with that fifth pick and trade Rodgers, who you might remember McCarthy had the opportunity to draft with San Francisco and passed on him for Alex Smith. Bob McGinn, the Journal Sentinel writer, even went as far to speculate that the Packers could fetch a second-round pick for Rodgers. Instead, A.J. Hawk comes, despite the scouts raving about Leinart and Young, in Thompson stuck with his guy and picked A.J. Hawk, and ultimately, when you look at the top of that draft and reasonably who you could have expected the Packers to pick at number five, I think the Packers did very, very well with this selection. Well, you could have done a lot worse, and I think a lot of the people who are upset with A.J. Hawk are more or less upset with where he was drafted, and I do understand that. The problem with that is that he may have still ended up being the best linebacker in his class. It really wasn't that great of a class for linebackers. The other good linebacker from that class, Chad Greenway, really wasn't just leaps and bounds better than A.J. Hawk. It wasn't like the Packers blew it and there was some other linebacker who was just a, a generational talent. With the information they had at the time, the Packers, I think, made the right pick. Speaking of linebackers, Laurenti McRae, remember that name? A year ago this week, he signed with the Green Bay Packers after playing the first couple seasons of his career with the Denver Broncos. He was later traded to the Buffalo Bills for a conditional 2018 pick that happened in August of last year. Why do we bring this up? Well, because it's interesting because he ended up helping the Packers without actually ever playing it down. The pick that the Packers got in the McRae trade was the pick they ended up using to trade However, briefly for Niall Davis, that was a conditional pick too. And since Davis didn't stick around very long, it ended up coming back to Green Bay. So the short version of this entire very unusual story is that the Packers turned a cheap linebacker into a seventh round pick and kind of got to rent a running back for a month. And Gary, my question to you is simply, how neat is that? It's pretty neat. It's too bad Davis didn't end up sticking around in Green Bay 
because this would have been just an all-time Ted Thompson fleecing. I agree with that. And it, it strikes me in this era when, when uh, the NFL is looking a little bit more like the NBA in terms of things like salary dumps and creative trades. This is the equivalent of trying a guy out like on a 10-day contract, except the Packers have the opportunity to get a draft pick in return. It's interesting to see Thompson using a creative uh, player acquisition vehicle like this, and it's something that I'm not sure he gets a lot of credit for. Anyway, just thought that was kind of interesting, so thought we'd mentioned it. Finally, one last headline from the Powersweep.com this week. Haha ha, Clinton Dix is actually off to an absolutely incredible start to his still very young career. He has started his career, now heading into his fourth season by playing all 48 of the Packers games in his first three years. He has started 42 of those games, and he has made a Pro Bowl. Only three players in Packers history have done that. Clinton Dix is one of them, and the other two are Hall of Fame defensive backs Willie Wood and Herb Adderley, both cornerstones on Vince Lombardi's defenses in the 60s. Gary, after three years with the Packers, haha, Clinton Dix being a first-round pick in 2014, how do you feel about what he's done so far? A surprise, to be sure, but a welcome one. He's been quite an asset in the secondary, John, and together with Morgan Burnett, they've formed quite a pair. It's really too bad that so many, uh, so much of the criticism this offseason has been focused on the secondary when the Packers have two of the best safeties in the league. I'd take those two over just about any other pair across the league, and a quarterback's a different story, but, but Haha has been... Just a great, great addition to this Packers defense and a slam dunk first round pick. Absolutely, I agree. And it's really fortunate that he ended up with the Packers at all because there was some talk that he could go much higher, potentially even in the top 10. It was kind of considered a long shot that he would fall to the Packers where they were at 21. I liken him a lot to Brian Bulaga, uh, the pick there for the Packers back in 2010. He was expected to go much higher, but ended up falling down the draft board, and the Packers were there to scoop him up, and he's been a fine player for the Packers for a long time. Clinton Dix, again, expected to go much higher, but he fell to the Packers, and they were there, ready and waiting to add him to their roster. Great pick for the Packers, and I expect them to pick up his fifth-year option here very, very soon. We've got a special treat for you this week and something we're trying to make a more regular part of the show, a special guest. We are pleased to welcome aboard for this next segment, Brian Caravu. He is the host of the Railbird Central podcast. You can find his work at cheeseheadtv.com. We're going to talk a little bit of the NFL draft, so we'll play that interview now. So we want to talk a little bit of NFL draft stuff, seeing as the draft is a little bit more than a week away. For the first time in what feels like a long time, the Packers actually have quite a few specific needs going into the draft. You could identify cornerback, running back, maybe that edge defender, outside linebacker type position as all high priorities. What do you see as the biggest need in the draft for the Packers? If I had to choose, and believe me, I'm I'm kind of splitting hairs here because you can make an argument for all of these, but if I really, truly gun to my head had to pick one here, I guess I would say edge defender for the Green Bay Packers just for, for so many reasons. First of all, that, you know, during the offseason, the Packers lost Julius Peppers. They lost Dayton Jones. So you're, you know, you're losing guys who were a big part of the rotation last year. Uh, on top of that, you've got Clay Matthews, who for one is has kind of been, you know, playing both inside and outside linebacker. Number two, his kind of production has been 
steadily decreasing over the years, maybe not so much to the point where he's a non-factor, but certainly to the point where you kind of scratch your head a little bit and wonder, you know, why for a guy who should be in the prime of his career, why is he tailing off? And, and, you know, uh, Clay Matthews at some point is going to be a free agent in the, uh, not this year, but fairly near future. And you just looking for the next guy who's going to play that position and be a good pass rusher. So I guess I would put that up at the top. But I mean, certainly, uh, if anybody wants to make the argument for cornerback where the Packers definitely didn't get the type of production they wanted last year I, I couldn't blame them either so lots of needs for the Green Bay Packers for sure now Ted Thompson sometimes to the chagrin of Packers fans is always preparing for the future and with Jordy Nelson getting older Devonte Adams coming up on the end of his contract would it be completely crazy to throw wide receiver in there as a sneaky need for the Packers yeah, I, I certainly don't think that you can rule anything out. I mean, especially when you get to the later rounds of the NFL draft, nothing surprises me. You could, if the Packers see a player they like in the sixth or seventh round that fell farther than uh, they thought, uh, I mean, by that point, it's, it's worth taking a, a flyer on almost any position, even the one where they're the deepest at on the roster. So, But, I mean, yeah, you look at the – the uh, wide receiver position and, and Devontae Adams is going to be a free agent after the season. Uh, you've got Jordy Nelson, who's has injury concerns and he's starting to get up in age. Um, you, you've got Ty Montgomery who looks like he's going to be more of a running back than a receiver now. And, and Randall Cobb, who many argue hasn't lived up to his contract. And so there's all sorts of these question marks, some bigger than others, and, and maybe none that are huge question marks. Um, but, it, you know, you could certainly see the Packers trying to add another guy, perhaps, that'll be part of the rotation and, and maybe a bigger part of their offense in a year or two after a, a rookie le- learning season, most definitely. We're talking with Brian Caravu, the host of the Railroad Central podcast at CheeseheadTV.com. Brian, a lot of drafts, mock drafts, have the Packers taking a running back in the first round. And you can debate whether or not that's actually a good idea, but the fact that it keeps coming up seems to merit a little bit of discussion. We're going to do a quick little bit of a lightning round here. Tell me what you think of a few of these prospects as first-round picks. Let's start with Dalvin Cook out of Florida State. (laughs) My answer to to pretty much all of them, no matter who you're going to bring up, is, is probably, for me, not a good idea in the first round. Uh, just because, uh, you know, I think the value of the running back position in general is has steadily decreased in the NFL over years. It, it seems like you can find guys in the later rounds that sometimes do just as good as the guys who end up being in early rounds. Delvin Cook, certainly a productive runner in college. I think there's a lot of questions about him, a lot of red flags, uh, injury concerns for one in college. Number two, and this doesn't get brought up much, Delvin Cook has either been arrested or charged with something like five times in his life for a, bu- a bunch of different things. Sometimes the he's been arrested and the charges have been dropped. But, I mean, they've been as various as getting in a fight with a woman to uh, discharging a gun on campus to animal abuse. And some of them, you know, t- didn't go very far in the court system, but just so varied and so weird that you, you kind of think, wow, this this guy just puts himself in maybe not the greatest positions. 
you know, when you add that, and he's got a fumble history too, 12 career fumbles, uh, six last season. I think you add all these things up, uh, get, adding Delvin Cook in the first round d- doesn't make sense. If he would be around after that, maybe, but definitely not in the first round. Well, we'll use that to transition into another one of these prospects. Joe Mixon probably is not going to be the pick for anybody in the first round, but you mentioned somebody in those later, maybe middle rounds. Is he off your theoretical board entirely due to his red flags? Yeah, I mean, I think you can't consider him until at least day three of the NFL draft. I certainly agree that he's just from the physical production standpoint, a very good player, very athletic one who can help you in both the running game and the passing game and be a three down type of player. But, you know, the the off field concerns are just so big, you, you know, even after you get with you know past the uh you know the punch he threw that was caught on camera uh and how much scrutiny he he received this past season at oklahoma he got into a fight with a parking attendant and it just with him doesn't seem to be sinking in uh you know the the gravity of his issues i really worries me whether he could you know get in trouble again so i just don't think you can make that major investment into him if it gets to day three and they think and you vetted him and think you know maybe it's an immaturity thing and now maybe that he gets a little older he'll wise up maybe you invested into it i certainly haven't talked to joe mixon personally obviously the packers did they brought him into the building maybe they got a better feel for him but boy i would certainly be leery if i was the packers anything you know beyond the very late rounds one more prospect to throw at you and he may not even be available when the packers are up to pick for the first time but christian mccaffrey out of stanford you you mentioned joe mixon as a three down back well mccaffrey seems to be the rich man's three down back he can he seems like he can do everything but will he even be available there for the Packers? Yeah, of all the guys you mentioned, this would be the guy I like the most and the guy you would even potentially consider because he, he is so valuable from, you know, he's the four down back because he can return punts for you or kicks or, or whatever. So, um, and, and he's very versatile. The question I have with Christian McCaffrey is, you've kind of got these guys on your roster already. You've kind of got these hybrid running back receivers. You've got Ty Montgomery, who, yeah, might be more of a running back. And, yeah, you've got Randall Cobb, who might be more of a receiver than running back. But you've got these guys already on your roster. Why are you going to add another when all of a sudden, if you consider what happens this year if you know Ty Montgomery goes down with, with an injury, are you going to have another hybrid type of running back to replace him as the primary back I think the Packers probably have to consider more of a guy who was in the Eddie Lacy mold maybe not quite that big uh, but you know a guy who's maybe around 220 pounds and can really a guy you can put out on the field who's going to be a short yardage guy if you if it's third and one and you got to give him the ball or it's you know fourth and one at the end zone you know, you need a bigger guy, and I think that's where the Packers got to look this year. I like Christian McCaffrey a lot, and certainly if he would fall to the second round, I, I would easily consider him there. Uh, but I just don't know if you could take him in the first round. Brian, would you consider yourself a passenger on the T.J. Watt hype train? 
Absolutely. Love T.J. Watt. Uh, I'm higher than most, and I'd like to think this goes beyond my own connections to the University of Wisconsin. Just watching him, I think the ceiling is very high. Uh, I think he's going to come off the board somewhere around the Packers, you know, where they pick, whether either it's shortly before or shortly after. Um, and and would, I think he fits their defense Dom Capers 3-4 defense to a T. Uh, he's the athletic testing alone, you know, at the combine uh, it was amazing and everything he did from the 40 to the, the shuttles to the jumps and, and just, you know, speaks to how good of an athlete he is. Um, I think he was very, the you know, very similar to his brother, maybe not so much in size, but, you know, they both started out at tight end, which shows you how good of an athlete they were, that they are considered, you know, at one time pass catchers and uh, to, to transition to defense. And they both, you know, very late bloomers. Uh, for whatever reason, the Watt family seems to be late bloomers. It wasn't until their junior seasons where they both really broke out. And it just seems that TJ's on that same trajectory where I think the best is still in front of him yet, as it was with JJ coming out of his junior year in college. And I see a very bright future for him. I think he's going to be a star in the NFL. Would think he'd be a great fit for the Green Bay Packers. He is Brian Caravu, the host of the Railbird Central podcast at CheeseheadTV.com. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Love talking Packers football. Big thanks to Brian for coming on the show with us today. Again, be sure to check out his work on the Railbird Central podcast each and every day at cheeseheadtv.com. Before we get on with the rest of the show, we need to talk about something. Not me and Gary, me and you, you meaning the listener and the reader in this particular instance. You are the reason that we are doing this entire thing. And by this entire thing, I mean the Power Sweep and Blue 58 and everything that goes along with that. Books and eventually shirts and everything that we're producing, it's all for you, the reader. Gary and I believe that there are more Packers fans out there like us. And that means fans that want deeper and better content than what they're getting from typical Packers sites and even the uh, quote-unquote mainstream traditional Packers media. You are one of those people. I can tell that because you're listening to this podcast right now. And that's why you're reading the things that we publish on thepowersweep.com. You probably noticed that there are no ads at all on our site, and that is by design for a couple reasons. First, they screw up the reading experience. It's really hard to read things and pay attention to things when there are pop-up ads and things like that all over the place. We don't like ads in sidebars. We don't like ads popping up in front of you. And I'm sure that you don't either. And we are leaving the site ad-free by design. The second reason we do that is because it simply makes the site harder for computers to handle. It's, it makes them run slower. It's more difficult for them to load. It just messes up your reading experience altogether, so we want to stay away from that. But unfortunately, the site and the podcast are not free to create and to run. Hosting a website like the Power Sweep costs money. It, that is just frankly the truth. It costs money, and producing the podcast is an expense as well. It takes equipment and time and hosting to do that too. But here's where you can help us out. We have three main, way, main ways for you to lend us a hand. First, spread the word. It helps us in a huge way to tell your friends about us at the Power Sweep and Blue 58 and share our articles and podcasts on social media. That is really the main source of where we get our content in front of people's eyes, and it helps us do more of the things that we love doing here on the podcast and on the site. 
Secondly, you can subscribe to our emails. We know that your inbox can get overloaded. I feel that every single day. So we promise that we will treat your email and every email that we receive like gold. We'll protect it. We will never give it to anybody else. And we'll be sure that we don't overload your inbox. One weekly email whenever we have a new podcast and uh, as well as uh, including in that some of the best posts from our site. It's easier than having to remember to come back to the site again and again. Thirdly, and this is brand new, you can check out our campaign on the website, patreon.com. This is a site that allows you to give to people who are creating things that you find valuable. And we're hoping that you find the things that we produce to be of value to you. Think of it like giving us a tip. We'll leave a link in the show notes today, and you can find out a little bit more information about that at thepowersweep.com. We have a lot more great stuff coming from the Power Sweep and Blue 58 as we get closer to the draft and beyond And we're hoping that you'll continue to read and listen and consider supporting us as well. It means a lot to us. On behalf of me and Gary, thanks for listening to Blue 58 and reading the Power Sweep. We'll see you around the internet. Let's get back to the show. Blue 58! So today we want to talk a little bit about the NFL draft, particularly our needs and wants and dreams for the Packers offense. We're doing it this way because we think that talking about it in those three categories helps us break down the draft a little bit more. You've already seen our in-depth draft coverage. This is kind of going hand in hand with that. So why do it this way? Well, it helps us recognize the difference between what the Packers may actually need and what what we want them to do. And it gives us a chance to sketch out some of the realistic, maybe not so realistic scenarios. So Gary, what do you think the Packers need in the draft? This is going to come as a surprise to you, John, but I'm going to go with wide receiver. Here's why. First of all, Jordy Nelson isn't getting any younger, and Devontae Adams is entering a contract year. The Packers need some security at the position. I'm not quite sold yet on Geronimo, Jeff Janis, or Trevor Davis being a long-term answer at the same level of Nelson, Adams, and Randall Cobb. I think it's a good bet one or both of Jordy and Devontae Adams are gone in the next year or two. I hope I'm wrong, but that is just when you look at the trend of of how we've seen these sitting and laying at, at the offensive guard position, I think it's a real possibility. This offense revolves around Aaron Rodgers, and wide receiver is a more important position to have high-end talent than your traditional offensive skill position, or excuse me, offensive positions where we might associate the Packers as having a need in the draft wide receiver, excuse me, running back and guard. And I think the Packers feel the same way. Ted Thompson's drafted 16 wide receivers since 2006. That's four more than any other position. So how big of a need do you see this as being? You know, John, I think it's as big of a need as running back. I think that there is how often the Packers would run four wide receiver sets. It's probably a given one of the four of Geronimo Cobb, Nelson and Adams is is going to go down with this with an injury and miss some time. I think they really got to get a guy second to fifth round that can get on the field and maybe make him make some moves. I agree with that. I'm not sure if it's a high end need. I would never imagine the Packers taking someone in the first round. Although I have seen a couple of projections to that effect, but it's certainly interesting to think about. And I think. As the trends have suggested, like you pointed out, this is not something that we should rule out entirely. I think I would like the Packers. I want them. I think they need 
to draft an edge rusher, somebody who's going to going or who's going to get after the quarterback. I think it's a lot easier to disrupt offenses with pass rushers uh, than with uh, pass defenders. So that's people who are getting after the quarterback rather than things like cornerbacks and safeties and things of that nature. The Packers have had very little reliability from their current group of pass rushers, even dating back two, three, four years. Nick Perry was good, has been good really for just the one year. Clay Matthews was good a few years ago, but really has been inconsistent since then. Kyler Fackrell, well, he was good at safety at high school and really hasn't shown that he can be a consistent pass rusher at any level. That's about it right now. They have to find somebody who can rush the passer. John, do you think that pass rusher or cornerback is a position group in worse shape right now? I think it's pass rusher just because they just don't have as many bodies. I mean, they have three guys who can rush the passer right now, three and a half if you count J. Ron Elliott. I mean, on the offensive line, at least, you have Don Barkley, who's started before. The Packers have Perry and Matthews. Matthews isn't even for sure playing outside next year. I think the, the pass rushing position is in very, very rough shape. Interesting. I, I agree. I think I think they got a box of chocolates at pass rusher. At least you know you got some high end talent in Randall and Rollins at cornerback. I I agree with that too. So who do you want the Packers to draft, or what position do you want the Packers to target in the draft? I would want the Packers to end up with either Dalvin Cook of Florida State or Stanford's Christian McCaffrey. Both of these running backs are high end going to take a first round pick most likely and they're going to be luxury picks for the Packers if they do happen to pull one of these guys in the draft it'll cement the Packers in my mind as the team to play as in this year's version of Madden for whatever that's worth but here's why it's a want John you know they won Super Bowl 45 with a rookie sixth rounder James Starks at running back and they made two more Super Bowls with a tandem of Dorsey Levins and an aging Edgar Bennett certainly not a need at running back to pick someone high and and Ted Thompson has has yet to pick a running back in the first round but it really would be fun to see what an elite athlete at running back could do in this Packer offense so I know Leonard Fournette is not expected to be there at 29 if he is I mean even I would like the Packers to to pick up a guy like him but if Cook and McCaffrey are both there on the board at 29 who do you pick I I would pick Dalvin Cook. I love Christian McCaffrey, but I'm concerned he is too similar to Ty Montgomery. I know we touched on this last week in our podcast. I would rather see the Packers roll with Dalvin Cook. Uh, but then again, like I said, would would either one is great, but I'd I'd pick Cook of the two. I think I'm I'm on board with you, and something I mentioned last week in, in our podcast was that he seems to fit a little bit better with the Packers look for in terms of just the physical profile. And sometimes I wonder if McCaffrey, like you said, overlaps just a little bit too much uh, with Ty Montgomery. I mean, it, it's not bad if you have interchangeable pieces at a position, but you don't want them to be just completely similar. For me, I want a light out, lights out pass rusher. Sometime when you get a chance, go back and watch a highlight tape of Clay Matthews from 2010. And I know highlight tapes can be misleading, but he was an absolutely legitimately scary, frightening player who was in the conversation for defensive player of the year. 
offenses had to game plan around him and wherever he was on defense they were watching him the Packers need that kind of player again whether it's Clay Matthews getting back to that point or somebody else coming in from outside the organization and supplying it I don't see Nick Perry as that kind of guy the Packers need that kind of guy I agree John and I think like you said it's hard to identify a reasonable expectation for Clay Matthews in 2017 just because of how inconsistent he's been lately and understand that injuries are a part of that how likely do you think it is that he never regains his top form I think the odds are worse than 50 50 in fact if I had to bet on it I would say he's never again the same player as he was earlier in his career that's not a knock on Matthews everybody slows down as they age except for Aaron Rodgers he hasn't seemed to slow down or to have slowed down much at all so far although that's a completely different position I mean, people can slow down, and it, it's no, there's no shame in that. I just think it's, it's a long shot to ask him to be the sort of player that he was now seven, eight years ago. He can still be a very good player, and I think the Packers need to be a little bit more creative in how they use him. But I think if you're hoping for him to be the kind of player that he was when he was that defensive player of the year candidate, I think you're maybe barking up the wrong tree there. Uh, finally, Gary, what would be your dream scenario for the Packers draft? I took a look at the Packers drafts under Ted Thompson this past week, and I noticed a trend that I I'm not so sure is something that we discuss. The last time Green Bay had three or more offensive players from a draft that you could say were productive pieces or made a significant contribution to the offense was 2008 and it would be my dream scenario to get three players that would contribute offensively in a productive way from this draft so in 2008 the Packers picked Jordy Nelson in the second round Jermichael Finley in the third and Josh Sitton in the fourth round I, again I don't think the Packers will draft a running back or a guard early because the class is so deep at both positions and like we talked about last week on the podcast, those positions just don't really need, you don't need to take a, a guy that high and it, it, to get a quality player. So my dream scenario would mean that the Packers are hitting on some third, fourth, fifth, and maybe even a sixth round pick. But I would love to see them get three players on the offensive side that could be productive and contribute uh, in a big way. Well, you went offense, I will go defense. I would love to see in my dream scenario the Ron Wolf, Randy Moss draft overreaction scenario, but actually good. And we've got a piece going up at some point this week on this particular draft. Rewind until uh, to the 1999 draft. This was the year after Randy Moss exploded onto the scene and did all the terrible things that he did to the Packers defense. In 1999, Ron Wolf responded by drafting Antoine Edwards, Fred Vinson, Mike McKenzie and Cletius Hunt with his first four picks. So that'd be a first, a second, and two third round picks. Uh, the Packers need bodies on defense and they need starting caliber bodies. I would love to see them spend three or four early picks on defense and get a return that is actually good. If they can get three or four high quality players on defense in the draft, I think you could pencil them in for at least another trip to the NFC Championship game because I think the pieces are there on offense. So Gary, while I've got you here, do you happen to know who the oldest draft pick in Packers history is? We recently drafted Dimitri Goodson at 25 years old. 
But the earliest one, I'm going to say it before you even get a chance to answer. Was, I don't even get to guess? No, because you would never guess it because he never actually played for the Packers. This was Ernie Case. He was 27 years old when he was drafted by the Packers with the sixth overall pick in the 1947 draft. See, I knew you would never have guessed it, so I, I did you a favor there. But why was, was my second guess? That, that was number two on my list. Who was your first choice? Jeff Janis. Jeff, well, he is actually a little bit on the older side, but why was Case so old? He actually got his first varsity letter from UCLA way back in 1941, but then he got drafted to serve in this little thing you may have heard of called World War II. He served as a fighter pilot, survived a mid-air collision, was captured by the enemy, escaped despite severe injuries, and made it back to the United States to play more football for UCLA played two more seasons, was drafted by the Packers, but like I said, ultimately did not play for them as he chose to play for the Baltimore Colts instead. He retired after playing just one season, and that is the story of Ernie Case. Gary, I think that's about the show for this week. Where can the people find us online? The good people of podcast land can find us at thepowersweep.com. If you just so happen to be a social media user, and my best guess says you might be, you can check us out on Facebook and Twitter. We are at The Power Sweep in both locations. We'd love to get in touch with you and get to know you a little bit better. You can send us an email at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. All of your feedback helps John and I make Blue 58 and the power sweep better and helps make all of us smarter Packer fans. And smarter Packer fans are better Packer fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. For Gary Zillaby, I am John Meerdink. We will see you next week on Blue 58.